This is The Thomas Guide. A back or special edition of the Debate Preview Part 1. Stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss my hot takes on what to watch on both nights on this episode of The Thomas Guide. Oh boy, it's debate night again. Tuesday and Wednesday, CNN is hosting another debate and the stakes are getting higher and higher. So, of course, I've got to do a special edition of the Thomas Guide to break down expectations, kind of the do's and don'ts, what I'm watching for. Gosh, do I love debates. First of all, this is the culmination of everything I do. I prep candidates for a living uh, for their debates, but it also is fun to watch because this you, I know what strategically each campaign needs to do because this is what I do. Then it's a question of, I can tell you what they should do, but that's not necessarily what they will do because one, they might not hit their marks. And two, you know, there's spontaneity that needs to be involved. Uh, there's likability. There's, you know, how much does the candidate smile or smirk? Does he pay attention to the person talking or does he act like he's, he or she is bored? Um, how do the moderators handle it? So there's so many factors at play. That's why I love it. And then of course the analysis after the fact, because it really isn't about what happens in the debate. It's about the, the coverage and the clips that live on beyond the debate. That's what so much of these debates are about. And then of course, does the bounce last from whoever does well at the debate or does the if Biden underperforms again, does that further sink him to a place where he can't dig himself out? Uh, typically speaking, no one debate is fatal. Um, in this case, Biden, well, we'll get into it in a second, but Biden better pull himself out of a hole because if he has multiple back-to-back bad performances, that can be fatal. So we'll get into all of that. First, I want to dig into a few things that are I'm following. First, Let's talk about Biden and Harris. Uh, what are their two goals? We just saw them both yesterday release plans, uh, policy plans. Uh, Biden released a plan on criminal justice reform, and Harris released a plan on clean drinking water, specifically focusing on Flint, Michigan. Now, why? would you think that they potentially would release those particular policy plans? on the week of this major debate. It's very clear. Both of those campaigns, Harris and Biden, are angling for the African-American vote, but with slightly different takes. Joe Biden is trying to hang on to the African-American voting bloc, and Kamala Harris is trying to capture her, what she thinks is her fair share of the African-American voting bloc. And one of the only ways she can do it is by pulling it from Biden, who is currently hovering he was prior to the last debate at about 50% of the African-American bloc. He's lost some. Kamala's picked up some of the other candidates have picked up some as well. Uh, and so Biden's in the mid mid to high 30s, depending on the survey, with that critical block. So those are the two goals. And here's the fundamental law of gravity in a Democratic primary for president. And that is there is no path forward without you as a candidate carrying a significant chunk of the African-American bloc. Period. It's too large of a portion of the electorate. So this is a critical block 
for a candidate to do well with. Biden has been hemorrhaging with that block ever since Harris's assault on, on, on him over busing at the last debate. So now this go around, Biden knows that his opponents and Harris uh, smell blood. Uh, so if you're either uh, Cory Booker or Harris, you're going to go for the juggler with that block. That's what this is about. Um, so what's the secret to pulling these votes if you're Harris? I think it's threefold. Number one, push your identity of just look at me who I am and my story and policies on the positive side of the of the ledger um, and rip off, rip the bark off Joe Biden as a relic of the past who has had opportunities to help African-Americans, but has only chose to hurt them with his policies. Uh, that's really the approach I think that Kamala Harris is going to take. What's Biden's goal? At this point, it's damage control. He wants to keep the the Obama sheen on him for as long as he can uh, while he's trying to avoid his, to, the best he can do is avoid litigating the past. He doesn't want to get caught into it. His recent policy proposal that he just made gives him a talking point that he can, instead of litigating the past, he can shift his vision to the future and talk about what he wants to accomplish. Um, the trouble is the most obvious soft spot to hurt a politician in any race is votes and quotes, right? What you've said and what you've done. Uh, with Biden, there's so many and inevitably he will be forced to defend them this week in the debates because candidates and moderators will ask him to defend those points. Um, Biden, I think, is going to also use his policy proposal. As I read it, it was really fascinating to look at. He's going to use his criminal justice policy proposal to contrast himself as a public defender against Kamala Harris's record as a prosecutor. Essentially, that while Joe Biden fought in his career as a public defender to protect people's rights, Kamala Harris, as an evil prosecutor, takes away people uh, takes away people's rights and sides with the evil cops. Um, that's the art of what Joe Biden has to drive this week. Part of his proposal is clearly aimed at Kamala Harris. Um, he said that he'd establish an independent task force for uh, prosecutorial discretion. It's big fancy words, prosecutorial discretion, but essentially what it means is to, uh, to hold out-of-control prosecutors accountable like Kamala Harris. <laughs> Ironically, though, uh, Biden's policy proposals are very much in line with President what President Trump has already passed with his version of criminal justice reform. But of course, I highly doubt that anyone's going to give him kudos on the stage this week for the work that Trump's done to help the African-Americans. That's, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Harris's plan that she rolled out is all about, like I said, messaging to the African-American bloc that was hurt in Flint, Michigan by contaminated drinking water. Kamala doesn't want to have the conversation about her prosecutorial record with this particular bloc. Interestingly, though, uh, California, where Kamala Harris is a United States senator, is constantly having water shortages because they refuse to invest in storage facilities, update infrastructure, invest in technologies like desalinization plants. So it will be fascinating 
to see if there is somebody on the stage, whether it's Joe Biden or somebody else, that when she rolls out her Flint business, that attacks Kamala Harris going, well, we don't disagree with you, Kamala, that drinking water is important and water shortages are, you know, make it's important to make sure that it doesn't happen. But where have you been for the last decade on this issue? So she's highly vulnerable to attack on this issue, just looking like it's politi- politically expedient. So this is interesting. Kamala Harris is running as a tough prosecutor, and that is her fundamental brand promise that she's the one that can stick it to Trump because she can prosecute the case. But in courting this critical block, which is the African-American block in her primary, she is running from her identity and record as a prosecutor because she doesn't want to be Kamala the cop because law enforcement, by and large, especially with the liberal wing of the Democratic Party in African-Americans, has a bad rap. Uh, Hence the Black Lives Matter movement and on and on and on. So I think that's going to be the two frames. Biden is going to position himself as the public defender, holding out of control, uh, out of hand cops and prosecutors accountable uh, that Biden really is the one that's fought for people's rights. And Kamala's evil, double speak, Kamala the cop. I look, this is where we don't know who's going to win the narrative battle. Um, I think if I were coaching Biden, I could probably prep him, but I'm not sure that Biden is sophisticated enough or or agile enough to handle something that he hasn't prepared for verbatim. And, And quite frankly, I don't know that Kamala is that good off the cuff. I really don't. I mean, the land she delivered uh, at the last debate of that little girl was me was so canned and so practiced. Now she delivered it beautifully, but it's clear that she she practiced that thing hundreds of times. Um, So can Kamala, the, the, the central challenge she has this go around, no one was picking on her last go around. And it's really easy to lob a cannonball or grenade when you know no one's dogpiling you. Now Kamala is on the rise at the moment, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody does dogpile Kamala. Or Kamala could be lucky, and it could simply be uh, dogpile Joe Biden, peel off his you know 30 to 40% of the block and see where it goes. You know that That very well could be the case. Now let's get into Cory Booker briefly. This is an interesting dynamic. Booker has much more pressure to have a good night than uh, than Kamala Harris does. Kamala just kind of has to do no, keep chugging along, have a have a moment, but not dominate the debate. Booker has to get in this thing uh, because he's got to rev up his perceived viability. He's got to grow in the polls beyond single digits, and he's got to. I don't think he's qualified for the next debate. So that means he's got to increase his small donor database. And the best way to do that right now for him is to have a moment. So if I'm advising Booker, it's to go after two issues. Uh, Well, no, I take it back. Three issues. One is Trump because that's a big win in a Democratic debate. Attack him from a different angle. uh, Like just come up with a different slice. Uh, probably wrap it around Trump's Baltimore comments, the squad comments, so, something to that degree. Um, second, go after gun violence, uh, tether it to uh, 
uh, the shootings in Northern California, as well as just gun violence that he's seen in his city and the families it destroys and the epidemic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then uh, third, I would say he needs to drive his identity and contrast it as the future and forward-looking vision against Joe Biden, who's a relic of the past. Uh, that we have an, an opp opportunity for a generational change and Biden is old and yesteryear, you know, uh, I thank you for your service, sir, but you've had your shot. Uh, if Biden can create that kind of moment, I think he can be the winner of the debate. I, I really do. Uh, and remember, Biden, uh, Booker is going to be on the stage with Biden and Harris. So it's going to be interesting to see how those dynamics play because they, they weren't all on the same stage at the same time. Booker was on his own night. And I don't really think he did particularly well uh, in the first debate. Um, I think he has a potential to do well in the next debate. So we'll be watching that. And then, of course, Elizabeth Warren. Look, you know, people say she didn't do that well in the first debate. I actually think she just did what she needed to do, which is no harm. Uh, so that's important. I think Bernie, Bernie is such an interesting character. Because the money is still flowing in pretty well for him. He's not the dominant raiser, but he's still viable. I think his challenge is his, the old adage goes, is you can only run as an insurgent once. And the lines that Bernie is giving feel like he's been giving them for too many years. They just don't feel fresh. So Bernie's challenge is how does he create this moment? Is it with Biden? Uh, is it with Buttigieg? Is it against Kamala the cop? I don't know. We'll we'll see how that plays out. But I, I'm going to be watching that. You know, maybe it's just a case of he does no harm, but he kind of fizzles and fizzles and fizzles. And um, I, the, there's also another saying is the most powerful word in advertising is new. It really is new. And Biden and Bernie are anything but that. At this point, Kamala can package herself as new. Uh, Corey can package himself as new. Buttigieg is new. Let's talk about Buttigieg for a second. This is a guy who's doing unbelievably well with fundraising. I mean, he is raising, he's leading the field. I think he did well over 20 million bucks in this last period. I mean, it is just gobs and gobs of cash. But he's got a clear problem, which is, He's still polling at about 0% with the African-American bloc. You can see in his rhetoric and where he's spending his time, he's focusing on those groups. If you look at his Twitter feed, almost everything is posing with an African-American. Almost everything. Every show he's doing, almost everything. And he's even anchoring bizarrely to the left where he's attacking white people as the problem in order to engender support and sympathy from the African-American community. I think he said over the weekend that this, uh, this whole country has a white people problem. It's not a black person problem. It's a white person problem is the problem that the country faces. Oh boy. Uh, look, he's looking at the law of gravity that I spoke about that you can't win a primary without African-American votes in a democratic environment. I get it, but he runs the risk of alienating white non-college educated voters, of which that's a group he doesn't do particularly well with. But I think Buttigieg is making a gamble that he can go recapture 
those voters later on with his gobs of money, but he, but he, he must do better with that African-American block. Maybe so. I think Buttigieg's part of his appeal or part of his challenge is that he really sounds great if you're, uh, you know, you have an advanced degree, you make over $150,000 a year, you live on the coast, you like wine and cheese, um, you consider yourself, you know, an NPR listener. He does great with those people. He sounds so smart. But he talks above the average voter. I just don't think he has that connection yet. He's a very talented politician, especially considering he's completely a noob and inexperienced, but he lacks that ability to connect with those two critical demographics, non-college educated white voters and African-Americans. That's a huge, huge problem for him. And that's his real principal challenge. If he can get over that in the next couple months, he's in this. I remain skeptical that he can. I really do. The The person I am most closely watching at this point is Elizabeth Warren. I really think that she has the ability with her populist message. Um, she's running a good campaign effort. She's not making mistakes. I, I know her Pocahontas rollout was botched, but since then she's... That's first of all, that's more of a general election problem, I think, than a primary problem. Although when things get scrappy, I think there will be Democrats that attack her for making up her race to gain an unfair advantage, meanwhile leaving actual minorities left to die. Uh, and I also think that they attack her for being hypocritical on the cost of education when she's benefited from that expensive education system herself and didn't squawk about it at that time. So I do think she has some soft spots, but I, but I still maintain she's impressive. She's impressive. Um, I, I do think that in those tight, she doesn't, she doesn't do as well when the camera's tight in just optically. Uh, she comes off her gestures and everything are kind of staccato. -y. They're very, very shaky. I think she looks better in a wide shot. I know that sounds trivial, but these debates are about tight end moments. Uh, so we'll see how she comes off this week. Um, it, does she dress kind of like a grandma or does she, she dress, you know, by the way, the dress codes are just hilarious. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, you know, is in the same either, you know, the same black or kind of brown uh, jacket and pearl string everywhere she goes. I mean, literally that is it. She's wearing the same thing day in, day out. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wears a kind of Mr. Rogers sweater that you button up in the front that's kind of oversized uh, that she pushes up the sleeves. Maybe she'll she'll fancy it up with a little bit more formal sweater, but she really doesn't deviate it from that code. Buttigieg, I'd seen him, I hadn't seen him in a suit until the last debate. He dresses in Dockers, and rolled up sleeves and brown shoes. And he smacks to me, Buttigieg smacks to me of like middle management. You know, the consultant that's come comes in that is heartless, that just is like a slick talker and there to downsize or uh, vertically integrate or, you know, <laughs> comes up with like, you know, very lofty PowerPoints uh, to describe the value they're bringing to your company. 
I mean, that's that's who he kind of smacks smacks of. And you know, I think he used to work for some like Goldman Sachs or some major Bain consulting or some some major consulting firm. I think, in fact, that is what he did. So those are the things I'm going to be watching for. Really looking at the dynamic to see if Biden can drive that that narrative of I'm the public defender. I'm moving forward to help African-Americans and if he can avoid litigating the past and getting stuck in that trap. I'm going to watch for an exchange. Really, I think if I had to predict it, I would say it's going to be between Biden, Booker, and Harris. Those probably where it happens. Then you're going to have the Marianne Williamson's of the world. You're going to have the, the B, C, and D teams trying to create moments It'd be interesting, Andrew Yang's. It'll be interesting to see if they can actually have a moment. I, I think they might have a moment, but I don't know that any of them have a transformational moment. Um, and then, of course, you know who's missing from the stage is Tom Steyer, the billionaire climate change liberal nut from Northern California. He announced he's running for president while I was on vacation, uh, and he won't be on the stage. And why? Because he got in too late to he he could qualify, I think, for the minimum amount of donors because he essentially converted his impeachtrump.com effort for the last several years to emails. He has that, but I think he's he's not at the two percent or whatever polling threshold that is required. So he's got to move that number. I think he will very quickly by the next debate. It's just a function of advertising dollars. How much does he want to spend? to up his name ID if he, if he spends a certain amount nationwide in an ad campaign as it relates to Tom Steyer for president, I think he gets there and he's crazy enough to just waste his money. Now, interestingly enough, do you know that this so the DNC's arbitrary standards of you must have X amount of donors and you've got to be at now this debate, it's I think 2% of the polls versus 1%. Do you know that the difference in a percent in a like they what the way DNC does is they do a blended average of several polls and that's how they come to a conclusion. But do you know that the difference between a percent in your average nationwide poll is literally six to eight respondents in a thousand person sample that say they want that they would vote for you over somebody else. Six to eight people is it. Because remember, <laughs> all this stuff is whether you could be at 0% in your standard national poll or 2% is within the margin of error. I mean, <laughs> it's so silly that, that, that these guys that are at 2% could easily be at 0%. They could easily be at 4%. The people that are a zero percent that didn't make it on the stage could easily be more than the people that are a two percent on the stage. That's why this thing is so ludicrous. And the DNC, if they had their way, would just kill off everybody and start with the big five that they want. But they're trying not to have the same accusation that they had that they were in the can for one candidate over the other, as they did with Hillary the last go around. So they're picking these nebulous uh, things. Uh, also, the the donor, I've complained about this before, the minimum donor standard I think is total BS because what it's done is it shifted allocations. It's not a reflection of how many donors like you. It's a matter of who's willing to pay more per Facebook lead generation 
than the other. Sometimes candidates are having to pay anywhere from $40 to $75 for a single dollar donor. The It is so ludicrous to think that these campaigns are willing to waste their money paying $75 for a donor that they know will only yield a dollar gift in their lifetime. But it's about getting on that debate stage, and that's that's the right trade-off. But the DNC is literally costing these campaigns their ability to invest in field staff, uh, more analytics and research, and the list goes on and on and on, or simply save their money for when they need it later on for advertising. The only candidates that are really able to navigate this juggernaut are the top five, the people that either came in with name ID or like Kamala Harris has been building a donor file since she ran right after she got elected attorney general. She got dinged by the press for like, why are you spending several million dollars a year of campaign war chest to a digital consulting firm, Kamala? You're only attorney general. What do you need to rate? And it's because she, she didn't know about the DNC rules, but she knew that in order to compete at a national level, she would have to start with a small donor file. Um, also, she was very smart. She loans out her as a political chit for years. She'd, she'd go into a congressperson in a key electoral state um, or a candidate for governor or a U.S. senator, and she'd say, oh, I'm so generous. Uh, here's my file, and she'd do an e-blast to raise them some money. And that was just to accrue a political chit that I'm sure she's trying to cash in now when she's running for president. But other than that, all of the smaller candidates are like, hey, I can't create this machine from scratch. So it's uh, the DNC's really screwed a lot of these little guys, but uh, uh, that's that's how the game's played. So that's what I'm watching on Tuesday uh, where I'm going to do, I said this on the other podcast earlier today, but I'm going to be on Fox and Friends on Wednesday morning bright and early, as well as Thursday morning at the debate giving analysis. I'll post it up on my YouTube uh, my YouTube channel and Facebook if you want to catch it. But I'll also do a special edition of the podcast each day to tell you what I thought happened and kind of really the, the tone of what happens on Tuesday night could affect what's going to happen the following night. It just, just depends. We won't know until we get there. So thanks again for listening. One thing I would request that'll help us grow this podcast is if you go, if you're listening on Apple, uh, iTunes, or whatever area uh, distribution service you're listening on, if you could like it, like star it, give it good review, and then write a short review. That is how the algorithm, iTunes, and everything uh, ups the podcast so that other people get to see the podcast as well. So if you could do that, of course, follow me on Twitter at the Thomas Guide. Uh, that's it, guys, for tonight. Thanks again. I hope you're going to watch the debate tomorrow and tune in, of course, to hear my reaction the day after.